are here on the Sabbath, and as we observe it today, I'd like to ask you a question. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Why do you keep the Sabbath? For most of us, probably that's a fairly easy question to answer and a fairly straightforward answer. But um, just like when, when a couple wants to get married and they begin to counsel with a minister, oftentimes one of the first questions that they are asked is, why do you want to get married? And uh, that might be a little bit shocking to the couple. Well, we just want to get married. Why do we have to have a reason, right? But he'll ask that question, and even thinking it through is actually pretty helpful to uh, help understand how to help the couple as they are counseling through that, uh, that process. Also, when a person wants to be baptized, one of the first questions is, why do you want to be baptized? And the person might think, well, don't you want me to be baptized? Are you trying to hold me away from being baptized? Why are you asking me these silly questions? But that's an important question as well. Why do you want to be baptized? What's the thought process? What's the reasoning? It's an important step. I remember reading as a teen Mr. Armstrong's booklets and the one on the proofs of God's existence and uh, going through the different proofs and thinking that these all make sense and they were helpful, but... The one that really resonated with me was answer prayer. Design, lawgiver, uh, you know, presence of, of, of life demands a life giver. All of that was very, very important. But the one that really, let's say, spoke to me was answer prayer. Because I knew that God had answered my prayers in my life. Maybe I couldn't convince someone else of that, but I knew and so that, that really hit me in a, in a special way. Also, when I was uh, in the process of seeking baptism and thinking about uh, proofs of the Bible, how we know that we can depend on the Bible, uh, one of the proofs that really stuck out to me was fulfilled prophecy and how that you can look at certain things that have been prophesied and then happened and there's, there's no logical way, there's no rational way that you can explain that away. And so that was very helpful. So the point is, sometimes as we look at things, there are a lot of different reasons that we might individually resonate, the reasons that might resonate with us in particular. So, there might be multiple reasons for keeping the Sabbath, but are there any that really jump out to you. Let's talk about that today. As we are here keeping the Sabbath, as we are thinking about what we're doing, but let's make it personal and let's think it through. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Your name, not the person next to you or behind or in front of you, but why do you keep the Sabbath? Let's jump right in and talk about some reasons perhaps why you might keep the Sabbath and Since I'm the one talking, I'm going to throw out some possible reasons. Sorry, I have the floor right now, so otherwise, you know, we could take some (coughs) 
some questions or some comments, uh, but we don't normally do that. So I'm going to go ahead and throw some out and ask yourself and think about what are reasons that particularly resonate with you. Number one, the first possible answer you might respond with is, well, it's commanded. Right? Number one, it's commanded. It's, it's a command, case closed. God says it, I do it, that's it. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. And we'll pick it up here in the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment is simply Exodus 20 and verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's ironic that it says remember and and that's the one that everyone forgets. And I guess living in the land of Manasseh, maybe that's appropriate because the name Manasseh means forgetful. And certainly as a people, the modern sons of Joseph, Manassites, others as well, but uh, have, have forgotten the importance of keeping this command. It's a command. It was thundered down from Mount Sinai by God. We should keep it because he said it, especially when we understand this law was never done away. It never was changed. Oh, men can can say it's changed, but and they can enact certain, you know, physical man-made changes in their own way, in their own attempt, but they cannot break the law. They cannot do away with the law. Protestants try to <clears throat> try to say the scriptures support a shift from the Sabbath to Sunday, but even the Catholic Church admits that they were the ones that changed it, that the, the scriptures do not support that change. Dr. Meredith's booklet, Which Day is the Christian Sabbath? On page 31 and 32, he says, A Roman Catholic study course tells us that, quote, the Catholic Church transferred the obligation from Saturday to Sunday. The source is Father Smith Instructs Jackson. He says the Catholic Mirror agrees, quote, the Catholic Church, by virtue of her divine mission, changed the day from Saturday to Sunday. And there are a lot of other powerful quotes in there. If you haven't read it in a while, uh, read that booklet again. Or if you haven't ever, it's a, it's a tremendous, hard-hitting booklet. But in other words, if you just take the scriptures themselves from front of the Bible to the back, they support the keeping of the seventh day. That by itself is a good reason to keep it. Uh, notice in Deuteronomy chapter 5, here is another uh, reference to the command. Deuteronomy chapter 5, parallel account. In verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the eternal your God commanded you. Same command, slightly different wording, referring back to the, the first time the law was given, as, your, as the eternal God commanded you, you should observe, shall observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy, sanctify it. God made it holy by His presence, and we honor that, we support that, we come before His presence, and we become a part of it. 
We don't defile it. We don't break it. We don't throw it aside. We keep it holy by observing it. What does observe mean? Well, it comes from a Hebrew word, shamar, 8104 in Strong's Dictionary. To keep, to watch, preserve. It's actually a similar word to the the night to be observed. In other words, to hold on to, to regard, to think about, to consider, to grasp, to to not let go of. As we heard in the, the sermonette a little while ago. So the seventh day Sabbath is a command. That's why we keep it. That's why we hold it. We remember it. And it's easy enough for a child to understand, isn't it? Even our children, uh, it's not complicated, really. Uh, You know, many of our children learn this at an early age. Sabbath day, the seventh day, they don't work. They don't, well, they don't work. Do do children work? I'm not sure. They don't uh, do whatever children do uh, on other days, six days of the week, and they come to church because God says so. Now, that works when they're five or six or four because they come with us to church as parents. But what about when they get a little older? You know, sometimes as children grow, uh, they come to a point where they say, you know what, I'd rather not. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And uh, especially once they become an adult, you know, they, they have to make their own Choices. And we have to think, okay, um, what can we do to help when our children are small? We can't control their choices. They, they have to make choices. But what can we do to help them to gain a deeper understanding and appreciation when they are small? To put them in the best possible chance of choosing it when they become of age. Well, maybe helping them think through the why. Maybe this kind of discussion is, is maybe even a start. If you'd like to refer to a sermon, Mr. Mr. Gerald Weston's sermon, Why Kids Go Astray is, is very helpful if you're a parent. Also, a more recent one, Four Points for Successful Parenting. And also Dr. Jeffrey Fall's booklet, Successful Parenting God's Way. If you have children, you need to read this booklet. Even if you you feel like you've got it all together, which as parents, that's a rare feeling. But uh, even if you do, you'll get great ideas and encouragement to really work with your children as bringing them up in, in God's way and put them in a, 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 the best possible chance to make the right choices when it's their turn. And again, as children get to be of age, if they make some wrong choices, things are, they're not lost forever. Uh, we, we certainly look for them to eventually. Uh, we, we don't know the end of the game. So we continue to work with them and look for when they ultimately do make those right choices. might take a little longer in some cases. But really, it's not just children that sometimes veer off of keeping the Sabbath. I remember back in the Worldwide Church of God, and um, we can talk about and think about times when a lot of people who had been keeping the Sabbath walked away from it. 
and I think a time in particular, was in a time when we had about 150,000 people attending at the feast, and a leader, this is a very short summation of what happened, but a leader stood up and said, you don't have to keep the Sabbath in the way we've been talking about. We've been too strict. You can work on the Sabbath if you absolutely have to to feed your family. And you'd think that very few people would have suddenly shifted and gone that direction, but tens of thousands of of people did. So what happened? Clearly there was something wrong in the thinking of many people. And, And that was not the only time when people have walked away from keeping God's laws. It had happened before, and it has happened since. So, what is it that we can, can help us to think through how to really internalize some of these things so we don't get swept away? Mr. Mario Hernandez has uh, sometimes mentioned to us the importance of reading the commandments in long form, right? Any of you remember that? And not just the short firm form? And maybe that's a starting point. Maybe as we think about the why questions, we actually need to go back to Exodus 20. So let's do that. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Because there is an answer to the why question right there that we skipped over the first time we were there. Maybe we need to think through that for ourselves as as well. And that does bring us to our second point. The second point of perhaps why we... You keep the Sabbath. Number two, the Sabbath reveals the creation and our creator. Number two, the Sabbath reveals the creation and our creator. Let's read Exodus 20 and verse 8. And this time, we'll read it in honor of Mr. Hernandez, the long form. The whole thing. Not all ten, just the fourth. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For, what does that word for mean? Because. It's connected. He's explaining what the purpose of the commandment was. For in six days the Eternal made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. As Mr. Frank often says, when there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? What does it mean? It's asking and answering the question, why? Why do we keep the Sabbath? Yes, it's commanded, but there's another thing to think about, and that is that every week that we are here, every week that we gather on the seventh day, every week that we observe the Sabbath, it's a reminder of creation. It's a reminder of where we came from. It's a reminder of who we are. And it's a reminder of the being that we can have a relationship with because he owns us, he made us, he created us, he gave us breath. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 2, and we won't go through the whole creation account. That's not my purpose today, but we'll just hit a, a summing up of it. 
it's very clear when you look at some of the proofs that the, the six days of creation were literally six days, literally 24-hour periods. For example, the, the, the wording evening and morning, it's talking about a, a literal evening, a literal sunset, literal morning, literal daybreak. Those are the words used. And also, if you have the, the, the crops and the, the trees and the grasses created on the, the third day, which I think it was, you can check me later, and then you have the animals created on the fifth day, those cannot be thousands of years apart. They have to be within a fairly short period of time. Otherwise, those crops are not going to survive, are they? They have to be pollinated. So those were six literal days, which means... Just like this week, just like we are here on the Sabbath day, this week mimics, represents, symbolizes, is a direct representation of what happened that very first week when God created Adam and Eve and all of the things that we see around us. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all his work which God had created and made. Verse 7, And the eternal God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So every week when we keep the Sabbath, when we don't just keep sort of absent-mindedly walk through the Sabbath, just because we've always done it, just because it's a habit, just because there's muscle memory, you know, we've done it so many times perhaps that we don't even have to think about it. No, we, we need to stop and reflect, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Who am I? And the Sabbath is a reminder because we're resting Because God rested reminds us who we are. We did not create ourselves. We did not just appear. And we have a responsibility to to find out what our Creator wants us to do. That is so important and profound to know from whence we came. And maybe as we ponder that and think about that, maybe that makes a special impact on you as far as your personal reason why it really hits you that you must Keep the Sabbath. Personal connection with your Creator. What's another reason? Maybe another one is number three. The Sabbath symbolizes our freedom from bondage. The Sabbath symbolizes our freedom from bondage. Let's go over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. Again, we read part of that before, but we're going to read a little bit more this time. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the eternal your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the eternal your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle. If you have cattle, don't let them work, right? Nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your 
male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember, notice verse 15. Now this just, I don't know. I, was this in there before? It must have been, but I honestly don't remember reading this part of this command. I think someone slipped it in there here, you know, during the night. I don't remember this part, verse 15. Remember you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Eternal your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, this is the reason, this is why it's important, the Eternal your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Brethren, we are free. We are a free people we have been brought out of spiritual Egypt. We, we know that. We rehearse that in the spring holy days. But the Sabbath is also a reminder that we are free. Because right here he says this is part of the reason why we keep the Sabbath. Because you were in bondage and you were brought out with a mighty outstretched arm. It's interesting that the Sabbath is looked upon as a burden by so many, and yet right in the command, the context is the burden was taken away. The bondage was lifted. Why is that? Well, the Jews did make the Sabbath into a burden. The Pharisees made it into a burden. And Christ explained that when he came. They added things God never intended. This is brought out by Mr. DeSimone's uh, and the team's whiteboard. Four lessons about the Sabbath. Very interesting if you can take a look at it. The whiteboard, four lessons about the Sabbath. No, the Sabbath was never intended to be a burden as God intended it, but rather to literally be a representation of the burdens that have been taken off of us. And after all, when we keep the Sabbath, when we rest, is that not a a a burden taken off that we're not having to work for that seventh day? You know, we have come out of spiritual Egypt. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. If we've been baptized, had our sins forgiven, tremendous burden lifted off of us in that way. And each Sabbath, we can reflect on that. But there are other physical burdens as well. You know, the daily burdens of, of life of our labors, of children, perhaps, if we have small children. It's a lot of work, of stress, of to-dos and errands and our chores, and also the tyranny of technology. And our technology does tyrannize us sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it holds us as slaves. Too often we become slaves to it. Test yourself. If you have vibration notification on your phone... You know, every time you get a text, test yourself. If it's in your pocket or in your hand, and, and so, have somebody across the, the room send you a text. See if you can resist answering it. It's hard, isn't it? That thing vibrates, and you think, wow, this might be the, the absolute most important text in history. And I've got to look at it right now because I don't want to miss the absolute most important text in history of all things. Who's the servant and who's the master? 
Remember the, the experiment, Pavlov's dog, where he would ring a bell and then feed the dog, ring a bell, feed the dog, ring a bell, feed the dog. And eventually all he had to do was ring the bell and the dog would start salivating and thinking about, wow, this is going to be great, I'm going to get food. Who's the servant and who's the master? If we are a slave to our technology. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 6 talks about loosening bonds and breaking bondage. Now the context is fasting. I understand that. But it also talks about the Sabbath too. And I think we can apply it in this context. Isaiah 58 and verse 6 says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? You know, ask yourself, is the Sabbath essentially like every other day? Except instead of going to work or school, I come to church. Or is it different? Am I breaking the yokes? Do I listen to the same music? Do I have the same entertainment? Do I follow the same patterns? Do I follow the same thought processes? Or am I breaking the tyranny that this world often has on our schedule? Is it different? You know, there are people out in the world who talk about the need for a Sabbath rest and talk about we, we need a, a break. We need, there's no margin in our lives. We need some white space. And they, they embrace this concept of a Sabbath, but then they turn around and say, but I'm not talking about keeping a seventh day. And you think, wait a minute. The whole point of the Sabbath is to do that in an organized and structured and habitual way, week by week. Why would you not do it? Isaiah 58 and verse 13, If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor Him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the eternal. God is saying, let me shift your mind into a different pattern on this day. Think about different things on this day. Let me free you from the, the rat race, from the treadmill that you're on. And yes, we need to work six days, but... There are some things that we think demand our time, and when we cut them off, we're liberated. We feel liberated. So we keep the Sabbath because it's commanded. We keep it because it reminds us of our Creator and our relationship with Him. We keep it because it reminds us that we've been freed from the burdens of this world. And every week we have a very physical representation of that. Does any of this resonate with you in terms of why do I personally keep it? Not the person next to me, not the church as a whole, but why do I keep the Sabbath? 
in a deep and personal way. What's another reason why we keep the Sabbath? Number four, the Sabbath foreshadows a worldwide millennial rest. None of this is anything new, I understand. But number four, the Sabbath foreshadows a worldwide millennial rest. Turn to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16. You know, one of the scriptures that mainstream Christians use to try to do away with the Sabbath, again, you can't do away with the Sabbath. It's God's law. It's like trying to do away with gravity. Has anyone ever been successful at doing away with gravity? You can't do away with it. You can tell people that it's done away, and they might believe you, and you might convince them, and you might convince everybody around the globe, which is almost uh, what's happened, but you can't really do away with it. But ironically, Colossians 2.16 actually is a fundamental scripture in understanding a part of the purpose of the Sabbath. Colossians 2.16 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. That last part is such a bad translation. The King James James Version says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And even the word is is in italics because it's not in the original So it really should say more like this, let no one judge you in these matters in regard to Sabbaths, in regard to holy days, festivals, but the body of Christ. In other words, the church has a responsibility to teach about the the laws of God and even explain and teach and instruct about the application of them. But the thing I want to focus on here is it says the Sabbaths are a shadow of things to come. What is that talking about? What does it mean? What is the shadow? If the Sabbath is a shadow, what is it the shadow of? Edward Gibbon in the 18th century wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. He was an English historian. In uh, Volume 1, Chapter 15, he says this about the millennium and the early church. He said, the ancient and popular doctrine of the millennium was intimately connected with the second coming of Christ. As the works of the creation had been finished in six days, their duration in their present state, according to a tradition which was attributed to the prophet Elijah, was fixed to 6,000 years. By the same analogy, it was inferred that this long period of labor and contention, which was now almost elapsed, would be succeeded by a joyful Sabbath of a thousand years. So he was explaining in the early church there was this connection between the the week, the seven days of the week and the seven days of God's plan of salvation. And just like there were six days leading up to the Sabbath, there would be 6,000 years leading up to the millennium. Now he was not trying to defend the doctrines of the church at all. He was just, as a historian, he was just explaining what the early church taught. Which is really helpful to us as we understand uh, getting to back to original Christianity, isn't it? Well, 
Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Are there any scriptures that back this up? Well, the answer is yes to that rhetorical question. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse, I'm sorry, verse 1. Hebrews 4 verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of us, any of you seem to have come short of it. So Paul is talking about the Israelites, the context here, the Israelites trying to go into the promised land, but yet because of disobedience, they failed. They were not allowed to enter that rest. The promised land was compared to a rest. Egypt was compared to bondage. It was bondage. The promised land, as they would enter it, would be like a rest. But then he is turning the voice to to those who were Christians at that time, and by extension to us who are reading it today. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So again, this this connection to the creation, it's undeniable, as we were talking about a little while ago. For he has spoken, verse 4, in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, verse 6, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you'll... Hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So he's, he's saying David was, was saying this. David was speaking to his audience at that time. And so now Paul is speaking to his audience, that there's something that we are to strive for and look forward to. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. Now, what is this talking about? This is not unfamiliar. Uh, the rest here, both is referring to the millennial rest of the, the 7,000 year uh, period compared, compared to the seventh day. But also, uh, rest here is literally sabbatismos, which we take as being a keeping of the Sabbath. Uh, Dr. Meredith explains this in the booklet. Which day is the Christian Sabbath on page 26? Does this mean literal weekly Sabbath keeping? The Anchor Bible Dictionary says yes, assuring us that Sabbatismos refers to seventh-day Sabbath celebration. End quote. Thus, the New Testament states very clearly that seventh-day Sabbath keeping is to continue for true Christians. The context of these verses do uh, does show that the Sabbath is more than just a memorial of creation. It is a memorial of creation, but it's more than that. It is indeed a physical type of something else, and we should observe it as such. Notice what the commentary in the whole Bible by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown has to say about Hebrews 4.9. Quote, This verse indirectly establishes the obligation of the Sabbath still, for the type continues until the antitype supersedes it. End quote. 
as the coming millennial rest, uh, millennial Sabbath, quote, will not be till Christ comes. The typical earthly Sabbath must continue till then. Isn't that something? Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown says that. The Sabbath must continue, at least until Christ returns. Mr. Meredith goes on. He says, yet as we will later see, even in tomorrow's world, human beings will continue to keep God's weekly Sabbath holy. How clear. So we understand that there is a command here to keep the Sabbath weekly, but it also is a shadow of something to come. Now, what is a shadow's purpose in this sense? When Paul was writing in Colossians, what the, what's the purpose of the shadow? Well, mainstream Christians would say, well, the shadow points to Christ. And now that we have Christ, we don't worry about the shadow anymore. Well, the shadow points to the millennium. Yes, we have rest in Christ, and, and we understand that through forgiveness of sin. But more particularly, the shadow refers to the millennium. But what's the purpose of the shadow? To remind us about the coming of the millennium. So if we only acknowledge the coming of the millennium, but we don't keep the Sabbath, which is pointing to the millennium, which is a reminder of the coming millennium, are we not going to eventually forget about the millennium if we're not keeping the thing that reminds us of it? The Sabbath is a foreshadow of a future event. We need to keep that foreshadow right in front of us so we are reminded about that future event. And if we don't keep the Sabbath day, are we going to forget about God's plan? Are we going to forget what He's doing now? Are we going to forget how He's going to intervene very soon and make this world a very different place? Isaiah 66, verse 23 says, It shall come to pass from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Eternal. You know, from time to time you interact with someone who used to be walking this way of life with us, used to be keeping these days like we are keeping, and it doesn't take long before they forget things. And you start talking to them, yeah, that's right. What, millennium? Uh, what, what's, what's going to happen then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have this vague memory of something. How important is it that we're keeping God's days that point to these things so we remember? Isaiah 56 and verse 6 says, also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the eternal to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath. This is a future prophecy. And holds fast my covenant. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. So the point is, why do you keep the Sabbath? Is one reason because it gives you a hope of the future. It tells us about God's plan. It shows us that Christ is going to return and there's going to be a different world very soon. 
How important is that? To grab onto, to hold onto it, to observe, to keep, to embrace, to not let go of, to teach our children, to teach the next generation. Maybe this is a reason that really resonates with you, that there is a better world coming and every Sabbath we come together and observe this day, we are walking through and picturing a foretaste of that better world. How important is that? What's another reason to keep the Sabbath? Number five. Number five. The Sabbath helps us connect with the body of Christ. The Sabbath helps us connect with the body of Christ. Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 and verse 1. Says the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feasts of the eternal which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. God's feasts. Six days shall be done, but the seventh is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation. You shall do no work in it. It is the Sabbath of the eternal in all your dwellings. A holy convocation, a, a called meeting, a holy meeting. That's what convocation uh, means, to call together, to meet. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hebrews 10, 23. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, when the pandemic began, the leadership of the church had to make some decisions. And the decisions were made that under unusual circumstances, while trying to figure out just how dangerous this new situation was, it was appropriate to connect to services remotely. Out of concern, especially for those who are in vulnerable health situations. And we read in Colossians 2.16 a little while ago that it's the duty of the body of Christ, let's say the, the leadership of the church, to make certain decisions about worship. And, and it is appropriate to stream remotely, keeping the Sabbath under those conditions. On the other side of the coin, we also recognize there's no substitute for being together, is there? In terms of growing as a body. And we need to be working toward establishing normalcy as much as possible. And that's something Mr. Weston has mentioned from time to time. It's complicated because in many areas of the world, government restrictions are making it really difficult to meet together in person. And yet there are things that happen when we are together. There are things that happen when we as a body are together. The, the bonds of brotherhood are strengthened. We, we grow together. We get to know each other better. We're strengthened. We're encouraged by one another. We come to understand each other 
better. We trust one another more. There's camaraderie that grows that is very difficult otherwise. We need each other, and we're going to need each other more and more. We see a dark world getting darker, don't we? We're going to need each other. The person next to you, the person in front of you, the person behind you, those who are remotely tuning in, how, in what ways are we going to have to depend on each other? We don't know. But this world is going into a very dark place. And we need each other. In the feast reports, we read of some brethren who were prevented from being together because some were vaccinated, some were not. But they were able to fellowship either on live stream or, in some cases, to meet outside, fellowshipping in the parking lot. They, they, they had to be creative about it. This is one report. Uh, the restrictions were that unvaccinated people could not enter any of the meeting rooms. They were staying in their hotel room but could not attend services nor be part of the meals and activities we had inside. But members met outside of the venues and spent time together. Members did not fall prey to the spirit of division that the world pushes. Since vaccines are a personal choice, the brethren used every opportunity to visit one another and encourage one another. Some went to the park to play. Others met in the parking lot. Others shared meals in the common areas of the hotel. It was really inspiring to read about that. Because just imagine if you were at the feast and you were in your hotel room and you could not go into the meeting room which was down the hall. What would that feast be like? So they fellowshiped in the parking lot. And they were unified. And they were strengthened by that. You know, brethren, there is great potential for us to drift apart. And Mr. Weston has acknowledged that and, and written about that in the world ahead this weekend. If we are not meeting in person, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for those around the world who live in countries that are becoming more restrictive. Whatever situation they're in, whatever situation we're in, that we all would have the opportunity to be face-to-face as much as possible and, and to grow as a, as a body. That's so important. It is discouraging being isolated, but now is not the time to fear. It's time to help each other to grow. So let us, let us pray for each other in this way. Mr. Weston writes in the world ahead, and I think it will be posted online uh, later, probably tomorrow morning, and sent by email. He says, today members have strong feelings on both sides of the vaccine debate and circumstances vary for each individual. The vaccine controversy is more akin to the issue of circumcision. And the apostles left that decision up to individuals, though explaining that circumcision for Gentiles was unnecessary and could be counterproductive depending on the attitude and reason. Acts 16.3, Galatians 5, 6, and 12. Brethren, the conditions which many of our brethren around the world face are not easy, and Satan will use them to divide us if we let him. We must avoid the anger being stirred up in this world. We must love one another, John 13:34. We have a work to do, 
Let us do all we can to promote peace and be about our Father's business. So, brethren, why do you keep the Sabbath? I think we're seeing that all of these reasons are important, and we really need all of them. But certainly one of them is to be a body and be together and be unified. Again, when talking about the Sabbath, what is our Sabbath routine like? Do we just crash? Are we just so exhausted at the end of the week that we just crash? And that's what we do on the Sabbath? Certainly there are times when we're so exhausted we may need to sleep in. We may not get a whole lot of other things read or it's, you know, things like that on the Sabbath because we're so exhausted. But normally we need the Sabbath to think. We need the Sabbath to be bolstered. We need the Sabbath to be alert when we come to services. We need the Sabbath to be centered, to think about the creation, to think about who we are, to think about where we're going, to think about the liberty that God has given to us. And if we're so exhausted, if we perhaps stay up late Friday night, if we're not planning a little bit, what good is the Sabbath really doing us? Well, we might say we're not going to work. Is that really the only purpose of the Sabbath? Or are there intentional things that it was built for? What's another reason? The last reason I'll give. It's number six. I tried to come up with seven, but sorry. Just six. Another reason for keeping the Sabbath. Number six, the Sabbath is an identifying sign of God's people. The Sabbath is an identifying sign of God's people. Over in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. And verse 12. The Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you. Throughout your generations that you may know that I am the eternal who sanctifies you. Verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the eternal made the heavens and the earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. A perpetual covenant forever. Many people think this is just for the Jews, but we know it's not. Modern Israelite nations should be keeping this just for this commandment, just for this reason, that it was a perpetual covenant forever. We understand that it's actually for all people, for the Israel of God, there is neither Jew nor Greek in that sense. But Ezekiel 20, we won't turn there, but you can just write it if you're taking notes. The, the Israel turned aside from God's Sabbath, turned aside from being a, a, a sign between him and them, rejected the Sabbath, defiled the Sabbath, 
turned away from the opportunity to have to be in his presence and they lost their identity. They lost their identity. We don't want to be like that. Now, it's not the only sign between God and his people. We understand there are some who keep the Sabbath, but that's perhaps the only thing they observe, and they don't observe other truths. So it's not the only sign of God's people, but it definitely is a identifying sign. And what about us? At no time in history, perhaps, has it been more important for us to make sure that we are identified as God's people? How close are we to the end? How much are we in a time of change and upheaval? And we need God's presence, don't we? We need God's presence in our lives. We need God's presence in our personal life. We need to be in God's presence, which is what happens when we observe the Sabbath. Will it make us different to the world? Absolutely. It doesn't take long when you are getting ready for coming to church and you're dressed in a suit and tie or a dress or a skirt and uh, your neighbors think what in the world are you doing it's Saturday you should be mowing your lawn are you going to mow your lawn in your suit we look different absolutely but brethren we need to be different we must be different we have to be willing to be different now we can't wait for tomorrow to to fully embrace our identity as God's people We're entering some very difficult times, and we need to know God, and we need to be known by God. It's interesting, again, how the world is being divided right now between the, the jabs and the jab-nots. As Mr. Weston wrote in his letter, and how he, we cannot be caught up in this controversy, but that decision is having real-life ramifications, isn't it? Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16. As he explains in his letter, the jab, the vaccine, is not the mark of the beast. Is not the mark of the beast. But wouldn't you say we're starting to get a taste for the type of tools that might be at the disposal of the beast power and the type of mindset that can sweep a nation or a continent And divide people and isolate people because of choices they make that are conscience choices? Can we see how this might be used for ill in the future? For those who do not believe the party line of a religious system that is in the wings and is going to rise again. Revelation 13, verse 16. This is speaking of the second beast, the the religious power that's going to rise in, in Europe with the secular power together in league. Verse 16, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let me read from the booklet, The Beast of Revelation, page 29. The mark of the beast is a brand of disobedience to God. Not only must this involve rejection 
of God's sign of obedience, the Sabbath, but also the acceptance of a counterfeit sign or mark. This mark is in reality a brand deriving from Babylon and Rome. And he explains a little further that it's essentially talking about Sunday worship, talking about a counterfeit day of worship, counterfeit for the, from the Sabbath. So, brethren, how vital is it that we identify with God now, that we make the hard choices now, that we're all in now? More important than ever. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4. Speaking of, of marks, there is a mark we want as we approach the end of this age. And it's found in this, in this chapter, Ezekiel chapter 9, he's speaking of Jerusalem. At that time, he says, Now the glory of the eternal, the God of Israel, had gone up, verse 3, from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the rider's inkhorn at his side. Verse 4, And the eternal said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. Do we want this civilization, this, this society to end, or are we hanging on to it? Do we want it to be changed, or are we so wrapped up into it that we can't even tell the difference? Are we letting the Sabbath be a refreshing change in our life every day that is changing us inside? Or are we just sort of walking through it? We stop work, we come to church, but nothing changes. Are we watching the telecast and are we reading the articles of the magazine to, to pick out things about who we are, about the creation, to pick out things about what's happening in our world and where this is going about the future, to pick out things about how we have been freed from the bondage of this world. How do we use the Sabbath? And are we sighing and crying over this, the evils of this world and, and wanting God to Bring a change. To others, he said, in my hearing, verse 5, Go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens and little children and women. But do not come near anyone on whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. How important is it to be identified as God's people? You know, we are in His presence now. We are here now, keeping the Sabbath. That's why we're here. But let's not, let's make sure we're not just going through the motions. But think about what we're doing. And maybe some of these things have spurred some thoughts and even given us some ideas and, and, and thoughts about how, how it affects us personally, individually resonates with us individually, ties us in individually. So we can't be moved, again, as we heard in the sermonette. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Too many have been moved 
in the history of God's people, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. What are we going to do to make sure we're not moved? God has given us a tremendous gift of the Sabbath. What are we doing with it? Mark chapter 2 and verse 27. Of course, Jesus was questioned about fasting and about the Sabbath and was accused of of, uh, his disciples breaking the Sabbath, which was garbage, and he, he set them straight. But finally in verse 27, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift. It's a gift. Mr. Weston brings that out in a sermon given in 2017. The weekly gift. The weekly gift. You know, normally when you come before a king, you must present a gift. But in this case, we're coming before the king because he has given us the gift of allowing us to come before him. And that gift is the opportunity to be with him, to walk with him. It's precious. It's been given to us. Brethren, the Sabbath is not just letters on a page. It's not just text. In Exodus or Deuteronomy, it's not just something we do because we're supposed to, to keep it each week without thinking. It's a command, but it's for our good. It's a gift. And there's so many facets to it. So many reasons why we should keep it. It reminds us of our origins, our relationship with our Creator. It reminds us that we are a free people, unburdened like no other people on earth, but they will be someday. It reminds us of that, that there's a better world coming. It's the foreshadow of that, and we can be a part of that better world. It's all wrapped up in the Sabbath. It reminds us that we are a part of a body of believers, and we must draw together and help each other and pray for one another and be unified and never let anything separate us. And it's an identifying marker that we belong to God as His people. And how precious is that in the times we're living in right now? But these words are easy to say. The more important thing is bringing it down to a personal level and determining why we personally are here. So let me end with how we begun. Why do you keep the Sabbath? 